Our God will never leave us nor forsake us. He goes before us and alongside of us. And so in these troubling times, in the blue seasons of our life, He is present. He hears His daughters. He understands and He will answer. It may take a while. It may be in the midnight hour, but He will answer. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Eddy. And I think it's safe to say that we've all experienced the blues at different times in our lives. But as Christians... How are we supposed to walk through those seasons of sadness, discouragement, or worse? Our guest today, jazz singer Ruth Naomi Floyd, shares both the practical ways and the artistic ways that we can find beauty in the midst of despair. Just some background information about Ruth Naomi. As a vocalist and a composer, Ruth Naomi Floyd has been at the forefront of creating vocal jazz settings that express theology and justice, like for over 25 years. She's also a committed music educator. Ms. Floyd is director of jazz studies at Kern University in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and an adjunct and artist in residence at Temple University. And before that, Ms. Floyd taught music for 20 years at the city school. In addition to her musical talent, Ruth Naomi is also an award-winning fine art photographer specializing in black and white portrait images. She continues to make the city of Philadelphia her home, where for over 25 years, she has been devoted and active in providing compassionate care and spiritual support to people infected and affected by HIV and AIDS. So let's get to our conversation on searching for beauty in the darkness with Ruth Naomi Floyd. This is God Hears Her. Start us off, if you don't mind, Ruth Naomi, and just throw open the doors and and tell us a a bit of of your story, uh, of how God found you, of how your voice was shaped, um, what what factors influenced you, you know, who are you? Sure. I'm the middle daughter of urban missionaries, um, Reverend Melvin and Elizabeth Floyd. And so they shaped me amazingly. They were doing urban missions before it was uh, in vogue, if you will, or popular. In fact, it was pretty radical. Um, But they realized that there was a need and God called them to fulfill that need. My dad was a decorated Philadelphia policeman, which was very rare in Philadelphia during that time um, as an African-American male. And uh, he kept reading the headlines and there was a pretty brutal gang fight. And my mother just put down the paper and said, what are we going to do about it? And he prayed and he felt the Lord was saying, put down your badge for your Bible in a sense, because the badge wow. was, was a way of... Uh, the, he couldn't reach the, the youth that way. So he packed up his three little girls and his wife and moved into one of the most dangerous areas of Philadelphia. And we served, and it was a beautiful time. It was a wonderful reminder of so much beauty um, in the midst of despair and, and trouble. 
I felt completely safe, even though there was a lot of violence going around us. And mm. that speaks to the power of community. Mm. So it was powerful seeing their work and seeing them sacrifice, but seeing their immediate obedience to God's call. Mm. And it definitely has influenced me in my work that I do outside of music, my justice work. And so I'm just really grateful for that. They mm. both loved the arts. They were born towards the end of depression and that wasn't an option, music lessons. So uh, they made sure that each of their three girls played piano and two instruments and we all sing. So I'm grateful for that too, that that love of artistry and that love of creativity and, and knowing they made that vow to themselves before they even met each other. It was one of the things that they wanted to make sure their their spouse would agree to. And there were, whether it came to, you know, I remember one time asking my mom, like, this is the third time we've had this meal. And she just teared up in her eyes and she just said, you will not miss a music lesson if you have to eat the same same simple meal. The money's going toward music lessons. And so it was just so grateful. Um, And it's a reminder that we don't get where we are without those before us and surrounding us to push us onward. Yeah, You sound like, the way you're describing them, they sound incredibly intentional. Yes. Like they they had a a plan, you know, for, for how they really wanted to raise their daughters, how they wanted to respond to God's work in their lives. Is that your experience? Absolutely. And they did it under fire. That's really important. They were uh, ostracized by the Christian community. Why aren't you just going to Africa and helping Mm. um, the Africans over there? Why are you trying to help? And they also understood that the issues and the violence didn't come on its own, that the reason why there wasn't solutions to it, that it was benefiting, you know, powers that be or or a certain narrative. So they were fighting against a lot without a lot of Christian support in the early days, but they they held strong and held on to what God called them to do. And thankfully they did see, you know, the Christian community come around and understand that, you know, we can start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and go to the other parts, parts of the world. But they did it with uh, amazing strength, endurance, and humility, and humility, mm-hmm. yeah. And can I push into that just a little bit? When you're sure. talking about the Christian community that stood against them at first, was it a diverse community, a mainly African-American community? Was it a white community? What, what was your Christian community like that pushed against that their call to the urban, mm-hmm. the urban who needed yeah. to know Jesus? I'm, I think... It was both African-American and white. Um, I would say because of what was going on culturally in the city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia was just on fire. Mm-hmm. Our mayor, our police chief, there was just a lot of brutality. So it was both communities in different ways. Hmm. You know, the African-American community was embraced them, but wanted it done through a certain way, through through the church or through an organization um, and the white Christian Christians were kind of like, or are you going to go to Africa? Mm. And both communities were concerned because it, it was the most violent parts of town. And my parents knew that they couldn't reach the kids by driving in, spending the day ministering to them and driving out, that we had to live yeah. there, that we had to mm. see and experience all that went on. And mm. I was just a, 
a, a sensitive child that understood. So, you know, I look back and say, how did my mom do that? Or was it right for her to allow me to see that or experience that? She's very wise yeah. in which daughters would see. But I, she also reminded me, you know, in, in the last season of her life that I asked, like, you know, for instance, there was time where her heart would break when the mothers would come around and want to know where their sons died. And she did not want mm -hmm. them to see the blood. So it was our way of serving the community. Would She and I would go out and hose the blood off. So I was very young. Mm -hmm. But oh I gosh. remember hearing my mom talk to my father and say, I can't let those mothers come out. So whenever I hear, I'm going to go. And um, she said that I asked because... In my mind, I remember just seeing a mother walk up and seeing that, um, yeah. seeing the blood. And, and so we didn't want that. And she would put flowers there instead or, mm. or, or something beautiful. Um, and that stayed with me. But she also knew that, you know, maybe mother sisters wouldn't be the right child to endure that or to experience that or that it would scar them or haunt them um yeah and it, it didn't for me so that wisdom and that was kind of radical back then mm, you yeah. know so yeah it's so evident in your story too like how protected you were in making like your family making a choice to be um in a place of heartbreak and pain like how much god protected your thoughts and surrounded you guys with more faith than fear, it sounds like. And when I think about communities and when we have friends that go through hard times and devastating times, it's when we are able to give them and loan them our faith when they feel faithless. And it just sounds like that's exactly what your family did was you lean, y'all leaned into a community to loan faith when it faith was nowhere to be found. And yeah. if, in fact, heartbreak was only found. Yeah, mm. I would say there was an enormous amount of beauty. Mm, and I yeah. don't know that I was able to recognize it right away. I remember being very safe. Mm. But a lot of that was due to the people of faith that lived there. And they were in a predicament where they didn't have many options or access. But mm. there was uh, great Christians that lived there that helped in their own way on the block. And there was enormous amount of beauty you know and mm. every so often i drive down the street and park and sit on the stairs and now it's million dollar homes and, and amazing mm. beautiful homes but i i remember uh parts of that beauty i remember that community at 7 a.m all of us washing the you know the granite steps and and uh of all of us, you know, I made lemonade. Here's an extra. Do you want a cup? And there, mm -hmm. that's sharing. So there was, like anything, there's beauty in the midst of darkness. There's light yeah. in the midst, and and that's really powerful. And my parents, in their own way, without I don't remember them directly saying, "There's beauty. Did you see that? That's beautiful." Mm. But they allowed us to see that, and I think that what you're saying yeah. is is really the saving mm. grace, and that's what stuck with mm. me is that beauty for our ashes. That mm. God yeah. can only do mm. that. So good. You know, it, the way you're describing your upbringing, this rich textured layering of pain and beauty and this redemptive result of your understanding with your, your parents' daring <laughs> permission. Um, 
how is jazz shaped with that? I mean, you're director of jazz studies at a university, and you've been doing singing, composing, playing jazz for decades. And your voice is, as Aaron said, just renowned for its intricacy, its integrity, the beautiful words to describe it. I don't know that much about jazz. I'm learning. But can you help us, and especially the novice like me, understand, isn't jazz an expression of this this weaving of textures in our crazy world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I play flute and bassoon, so I had a, a beautiful, large volume of European classical music. My father's favorite singer was Lentine Price, so we listened to operas, and we listened to African-American gospel. We had that in church, mm-hmm. so it was it was wonderful. Um I would say what attracted me to jazz was its history. Mm. You know, when you trace it down, it comes to the African-American spirituals. So in this, you know, one of the mm-hmm. darkest periods of our nation's mm. history, there was birth in the midst of this mm. oppression. There was birth these songs that have not only stood the test of time, but that yeah. also birthed other genres of music that are played in and created around the world. Yeah. And so jazz is is birth in protest, but it's mm. also a conversation. Mm. And so everyone gets a chance to dialogue. There's a theme and everyone plays along with the theme and then everyone gets a chance to bring their own journey, their own experience, their own skill set, their own language, their own creativity, their own imagination, and have a voice to speak it instrumentally or vocally. And then after everyone has a turn, then we go back together as a theme Mm. and end it. So it's a very democratic music. It's music where everyone can participate. And it's also a chance to, you know, be a part of a community, but still have your own voice. And then when I think of improvisational jazz, I think of theology, you know, beginning of Genesis 1-1, Jesus presents himself Mm -hmm. as an artist in the beginning God created. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as you go on to the cross, talking about this juxtaposition between ugliness and beauty of the cross, Mm -hmm. that Jesus becomes the greatest blues singer ever born, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So you can't have jazz without that blues or you shouldn't have jazz without that blues Mm. component. And so there again, Jesus just gives us the gift of imagination, of wonder, of improvisation, of creativity. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I love is that you know, talking about Jesus as a blues singer, the greatest blues singer. And I love Ma Rainey and I love Bessie Smith, but you can't get more blues than that great line mm-hmm. sung mournfully from the cross. But also it's where Zephaniah, the prophet, tells us mm-hmm. later that mm-hmm. that same blues singer mm-hmm. sings over us with joy. One of the great blues singers says, you know what? how you can tell a blues singer? blues singer never stops singing because there's always blues. There's something always to be blue about in our own lives or in our friends' lives. So the blues singer always has a job, always has to sing the story. But Mm. Jesus, the blues singer, the greatest blues Mm. singer, turns the script and changes the script Mm. and he then sings over us with joy Mm -hmm. and he never stops singing. Mm. So that those improvisational themes are uh, amazing. And for me, you know, running warm in my veins are the people that created 
this mm-hmm. body of music and so much oppression. And so it's it's particularly in black music, you hear that dance between deep, deepest despair to unspeakable joy. You hear a spiritual and it's like the saddest line. And then the next line is joy. You, yeah. you go to a traditional, and it depends on denomination and, and church, but you hear there's no kind of sense of there, let it all out, let the grief, let the wailing, let the moan out. Mm-hmm. This isn't every African-American, we're mm-hmm. diverse, we're not, you know, monolithic, but, um, you know, so we, you hear that dance between mm-hmm. deepest despair to joy, and you see that mm-hmm. in the minor prophets, and you see that throughout and then the, in the Bible. Psalms. Yeah, and in the Psalms absolutely. Well. Yeah, beautiful. Job. You can't get more blues than that. I, Why was I born? Yeah. Why was I born? You no know. kidding. Yeah, oh, I love that so much. So, so take that. Can you take that and speak that to the woman who is right now listening, mm-hmm. going, "I am living the blues." I'm trying to sing them, but I don't see beauty in them. Mm-hmm. I see pain in them. And, and can you speak to her with what you've discovered of this amazing quilting and stitching and texturing of both pain and beauty coming together? You know, how mm-hmm. how can we hold on to what God might be creating when we feel like we're lost in the ugly? Mm-hmm. Sure. When I was a little kid I didn't like Holy Thursday to me it just didn't it didn't make sense it, I grew up in the Rambo <laughs> era point. so I didn't understand at this point Jesus is supposed to be Rambo he's yeah. supposed to dethrone the evil empire yeah. and reign yeah. and I just didn't it made me feel uncomfortable seeing Jesus like will mm-hmm. you pray with me and clearly the disciples are more interested in sleeping and then he's <laughs> asking basically can this cup pass and I was like wasn't that why you came so that mm-hmm. you could drink the bitter cup and yeah, it's just yeah. very confusing to me is it an elementary school girl I was not that I loved Good Friday because that was so sad but it was just like <laughs> at least it was clear you know <laughs> and the older I got I realized that Jesus gives us a great gift the gift of transparency the gift mm-hmm. of his humanity mm-hmm. and the gift ah uh, to ask the question. So we have a right to say, can this pass? Can this blue season in my life, can these blues issues yeah. can, um, change? Can can they can it pass? Do I have to drink of the bitter cup? And God mm. in his amazing grace and mercy says sometimes, yes, you don't have to drink yeah. of the bitter cup. But more times than often, we have to do as Jesus did, drink of that bitter cup. And more importantly, the most powerful one is that it really was the action that came after the question. Mm-hmm. And he got up and walked towards the cross. So, you know, I talked about how I I lived in a, a, a very turbulent um, community, but that I didn't feel fearful. And so mm-hmm. Jesus teaches us that in the season of our blues, that we can walk towards the fear and that he has overcome that, that he has gone before us, that he walks alongside of us and that he promises never to leave us. I would say the one last thing is that, you know, at 19, after seeing this powerful Christian work, I didn't want to write my parents' coattails. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, I'm a daughter of a Baptist preacher. I, you know, I wanted to know yeah. Jesus for myself. And I remember the day I gave my life to him. So that was clear. 
And I took some time to really examine and study other religions. My mother was furious and upset and praying all the time. Like, <laughs> Lord, don't, you know. That's my, honest. Yeah, my, my father was excited because he knew his daughters. Probably mm. if the younger or the older was doing it, he would be upset. But he kind mm-hmm. of knew that probably for me, um, mm-hmm. you know, being so artistic that I needed to understand the struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. But I asked the question, mm-hmm. what kind of God could I not believe in? And time and time again, it came back to, I cannot, for me, believe in yeah. a God who hasn't suffered. A God who allows right. suffering, but hasn't walked that path of suffering, and this right. hasn't endured the blues and has become the blues. So then I understand, yes, we'll walk through the fire and not be burned. Mm-hmm. The water will rise, but not overflow us or drown us. And so then I would say to my precious sisters out there, mm-hmm. hold on, hold mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. ask the question. I'm so glad he asked the question, can this pass? But at the same time, have that act of hope. In every blues line, there's a glimmer of hope. And that hope is active and to walk towards with all you can by the grace of God. And that season will pass on Mm. this side or on the other side. And that's the blessed hope. And when we come back, Ruth Naomi Floyd talks us through ways in which we can all use our own blues experiences to advocate for those women who feel unseen and unheard. And she'll also share an incredibly inspiring story about intentionally finding beauty during moments of dehumanization. This is God Hears Her. If you're a fan of this podcast, sign up for our God Hears Her email newsletter and find even more inspiration and encouragement from women just like you. These weekly emails are filled with stories you can relate to and other fun goodies that will brighten up your walk with Jesus. Go to GodHearsHer.org and sign up today. That's GodHearsHer.org. Now back to the show. Could we turn it just for a second and look at how do we use our voices when we do Mm. feel strong or clear to advocate for those women who are unseen and unheard? That's a huge part of your life is to speak out against injustice and uh, to become a truth teller, I think, is Mm -hmm. is, is how you've described it for society, of society. Um, What if we turn our voice using our own blues but to speak out on behalf of others, especially women who are feeling unseen and unheard, to advocate that their voices be heard. Sure. I mean, um, I think there's several ways we can do it. Um, You know, I think, you know, with terms like activist, a protester, those things, Mm -hmm. some of our personalities don't lend ourselves to that kind of activity. Um, Mm -hmm. We've seen the power of protest. Hence, Protestantism and and mm-hmm. the power of, of righteous rage and deep lament and and what that mm-hmm. has birthed, but you know I think we have to think sometimes creatively of of how to do that. So it's sometimes it's in simple acts of being present. In my HIV work in the beginning, when this yeah. deadly disease first hit, it was yeah. actually not a lot of words of just showing up. You know, sometimes mm-hmm, continuing mm-hmm. to show up is is activism, is encouraging voices. Mm-hmm. And when you're 
able to and you, you feel called to to really in small creative ways to speak up and you know it comes back to part of like who is my neighbor who is not my neighbor who do I believe yeah. is not my neighbor and <laughs> um and so I think as Jesus did sit at the feet of those of our precious mm-hmm. sisters who are still deemed invisible in 2021 mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. still uh, are preferred to be humans for those humans to be voiceless and to, like you said, to speak, and you can use the arts, you can do ministry, you can do that. I'm just amazed at the women of the Bible, how creatively they were able to do Mm. that, from lamenting with each other to um, encouraging each other and to standing up at times forcefully using their words. So I think it begins with really being willing and serious and sobering about wanting to speak up, then asking the Lord um, how that should be done and then be creative in ways to do that. Mm. I think too, is also providing for me is providing and creating areas so that the women themselves can speak. So I'm Mm -hmm. not viewed as a martyr or a savior Mm -hmm. or the spokesperson that I'm creating avenues and spaces for them if they so are ready and willing and and in a place to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think themes of access are important and privilege Mm -hmm. in the way that we, some of us are privileged that we're able to pass on that privilege to them. And I think more than anything else is sitting at the feet of these women, whatever their issues are, whatever blues they're going through is being silent and maybe not speaking, but listening and sitting at the feet of where they are. And then Mm -hmm. when able to speak, do so. And then in turn, turn around and give them an opportunity to speak Mm. and advocate for themselves. So I'm talking about empowerment too. Mm. So good. You've said, I believe each generation has a responsibility to take what is best from the generations that preceded them and Mm. to build on it to create something new. And I hear that in in who you are. You know, you, you have a real ability and a passion to listen well to others and then to seek God's guidance for what it means for you to add on to that. Um, I, I think many of us women are, are hesitant to bring our building skills Maybe we're hesitant to bring our evaluative skills to even see what's been done before us. But I think then, even if we do, we get hesitant. We think, well, I don't have anything to contribute here or, you know, I Mm -hmm. I got nothing. And you've been able to look at what your parents did, your father laying down his badge and picking up a Bible, your mother with great wisdom, uniquely parenting Mm -hmm. each of her daughters Mm -hmm. um, and with the music skills and and other things. But then you then listened and watched what your generations ahead of you built. And now you've created and built a a great contribution. You were empowered Mm -hmm. to do that. So so maybe as, as as we have this chat right here in this moment, how can you speak to empower that woman who's hesitant Mm. to build on anything. She just thinks, what do I have to build with? You know, God as the artist knows he is faithful of generation after generation and generation. I think for me, even with my parents and even with their commitment and sacrifice to give us music, to help us to understand that 
what we're doing when we're not in front of a mic or playing or creating music is equally important. Um, it really was, an, and I believe that in every family, there's someone. So one way that has empowered me has been my father's great-grandmother. You know, she was an enslaved African. She was six feet, two inches tall, taller than anyone in her neighboring communities. Oh, to wow. make an example of her, her master made her become a human mule. So from 4.30 a.m. Mm. to 4 p.m. each day, she would get up and strap on the straps and pull the plow. I don't know that there's many things worse example of dehumanization than being made to be a mule. It obviously isn't productive because yeah. a mule could be faster, but it was right. to break her in every way. She died at age 28, oh. her spine in the shape of an S in excruciating pain. But one of the mm -hmm. things my father's grandmother remembered who lived to be 109 and I was tied to her apron strings. I loved her more than any human in the oh. world. And she just would say, who is this child that doesn't want to go out and play? I would beg to go over her house. She taught me how to turn butter, how to make <laughs> bread, how to dress a table, how to garden. Mm. And I finally got her one afternoon to talk about her mother, which is very hard for her. Mm. And she told me the story of where, and she didn't remember this, but her brothers and sisters, older brothers said, that coming from the place of where she was dehumanized, that field, walking back to her cabin, she would search for beauty. And so that whether it was a pine cone, a blade of grass, a stick, a flower, she would pick it up and bring it into the cabin and put it on the table. Mm. You know what they would call the butcher's block back then that her husband had made out of wood. Her siblings remember saying, here's beauty. Mm. I, I, all of us have been treated and devalued. And I don't know how walking that short distance, you look for beauty. Mm. I know that that was birthed in me. And so I'm an emancipatory artist. What that means is that I seek to tell the truth and that I seek to chase after beauty, ultimately the most beautiful one, Jesus. So I would say to our sisters out there that look to our father who created Imago Dei, he made us beautifully and wonderfully made in his image, fully woman and fully female. But then also he is the faithful one of generation to generation. And in your own history, I think there are many examples of great women that have done it in quiet ways. Had it not been the history that was passed down, I would never know this. And, and use them as an example. And then also the women in the Bible are so diverse mm -hmm. and so fierce and so amazing mm -hmm. and different personalities um, and different strengths. And so lean on our biblical sisters. And in each example, we can find a way to reflect light, to emancipate those from the darkness, to comfort those, to walk alongside, yeah. and to empower, empower. You know, in ancient times, you know, for instance, 
if when my sister was going through or neighbor was going through a tough time of lamenting in the blues and felt not empowered and just was riddled with grief and sadness, I would, you know, leave my tent, go to the marketplace, buy a bottle and go into the, her tent and sit with her and collect her tears in the bottle, pray with her, sing with her, and then go back to my tent and do whatever I need to do. But every time mm-hmm. I would look at that bottle, I would remember the grief of my friend and I would stop and pray or cry. So I didn't have to be in her presence. So sometimes really the, a radical act is committing to pray, is committing to lament in when you're in the presence of our sisters or when you're yeah. not remembering them before the Lord, remembering their tears, mm-hmm. just as Jesus said. And, and the God says, I remember those tears. I collect your tears and I care and I, yeah. I treasure them. And so there's different ways for different personalities and different mm-hmm. women at different walks in life. Yes, prayer is an act, a radical act of protest (laughs) against the darkness. I'm sending flowers, sending a meal, and Mm -hmm. equally standing up and against, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, power and saying no. So all those things, I think sometimes we think of those amazing women in history who stood up and did this, but also there's quiet women behind Mm -hmm. the scenes being obedient and doing what God's called them. Do you think of Esther? You know, she can start a campaign. I am Jewish and we are not going to stand for this. Quietly going around, um, praying and Mm -hmm. had a community, Mm -hmm. praying and fasting, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. changing the heart of the king, which God ultimately Mm -hmm. did, obviously. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it sounds very simple, but it's really powerful. Yes. And what you said, I remember the story that you were sharing earlier about someone would bring lemonade and we would serve lemonade to each other as we were cleaning the granite. And I think that we can minimize our actions and and not think that those small gestures Mm -hmm. are actually so impactful in our communities, but they are. And I just love that you, you're empowering, not just big boisterous acts where everybody sees out in the open, but then the quiet and the quiet. I think God just honors, he honors both. And I I really feel like it starts inward. So we as sisters, Mm -hmm. if we would value each other, Mm -hmm. if we would see beauty, Mm. if we would empower with kind words, if the world would see Christian women come together and be united of empowering and speaking over them with truth and love. Man, they would be knocking our church doors down just on that alone. We would teaching our husbands, our fathers, our pastors, our sons, our nephews through action without one word spoken to them. Yeah. That this is who we are. We are the king's daughter. We are valued just by the way we would treat each other. And then for those that are struggling with, you know, self-image and lack of confidence, if we would know that God made us in his image and really understand and do a study of what a Mago day means, mm-hmm. that too. But I think we can start as sisters and then move outward. But that alone is the gospel and would mm-hmm. invite so many to come our sisters who have not embraced Christ in the cross, if they could see that among their Christian friends, it would be revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.